Father, as we come to this part of Hebrews and this very severe warning that is issued to all the listeners and readers of this book, Lord, I just ask that, uh, uh, Lord, that you show us the seriousness of, of spiritual immaturity, the seriousness of, of never growing and, and just staying uh, stagnant in, in the faith, Lord. Just, just, just teach us about that. And, and as we look at this warning today, Lord, I, I, but at the same time, Lord, I want help us to, to be encouraged by the fact that if we are truly in Christ, Lord, that, that uh, these warnings don't apply to us, that uh, we can be sure that, that we're uh, saved forever, that uh, we're born again, Lord, that uh, we'll live with you in eternity, and, and Lord, that all our sins have been forgiven. And so there's such a contrast here, Lord, and it's such an important text. And, and Father, I pray especially today, if there's someone in here who is, who has, who's really not sure about their new birth, Lord, who really uh, uh, is kind of riding the fence, just show them the dangers today of doing that. And Lord, how, as your word said, let today be the day of their salvation. So I just ask you to touch hearts here as, as you choose to do and do it by the power of your Holy Spirit. I ask that in Christ's name, amen. A lot of you remember the movie back in 1967, uh, Paul Newman was the star called Cool Hand Luke. Do you all remember that movie? I hear a lot of laughs. That was a pretty good movie. But uh, Luke, the main character in the movie, is a pretty rebellious guy. In fact, in the end, it's going to cost him his life. He just, he just wouldn't listen. And in one of the scenes in the movie, the, the warden who the prisoners call captain is, is speaking to Luke, and he says, Luke, you're going to get used to wearing them chains after a while. Uh, and don't st ever stop listen, listening to them clinking because, because all of this is for your good. And Luke responds, he says, uh, he says, I wish you would stop being so good to me, Captain. And that made the captain really mad, so he begins to, to hit Luke with a stick. And, and uh, uh, he's, he, he says, don't you ever speak to me that way again. Never, never. And then he turns to the prisoners and he says, what we have here is a failure to communicate. You remember that line? Well, I think the author of Hebrews is saying the same, something very similar to us today in this text. What we have here is a failure to communicate. Now, here he is. He's espousing all these great truths about Jesus Christ, about the finality of the cross, about who Jesus Christ is as our high priest. And he's got one overriding goal that, he, that he's trying to reach. And that is to get us into the holiest place of all. Into the holiest of holies. Into, the, into this full awareness of God's presence in our lives. But the, for the most part, his readers weren't getting this. They weren't getting this at all. And I wonder sometimes if some of us are getting this. Uh, but, but they weren't getting it. And so what he does throughout the text he inserts these very severe warnings. He says, man, you've got to get this. There's no choice about it. You've got to get this. And so he puts those warnings in there, and from these warnings, we, I, we, can, we can deduce three reasons why they weren't getting it. Well, uh, here's, here's, here's three of the reasons. He's, some of them were elevating their religion above their Christian faith, especially the Jews. I mean, here they were, uh, in Ju steeped in Judaism, 
and they were putting their temple worship and their sacrificial system and their good works uh, above their faith in Jesus Christ. That's what they were resting in. And so they were living in a spiritual wilderness, he tells us, and, and they were in danger of uh, perishing eternally because of what? One word. What's that word? Because of their unbelief. Now, that's one group that he warns. Then there's others who were spiritually immature. Uh, they were satisfied with milk instead of wanting the meat of the word. They were stuck in the basic principles of the faith. They knew all about the Easter story, but they really didn't know Jesus Christ. They did, had a little idea of just how majestic Jesus is and how depraved they are in, in uh, comparison to him. And so uh, they, they were dull of hearing. And uh, uh, they, they, they had little understanding about the deep truths of Jesus Christ and, his, and the sacrifice that he made on the cross. All right, and then there were those who were actually abandoning the faith. I mean, at some point, they were walking away. They were going back to their religion, back to Judaism, or they were going uh, back into the world and depending on what you believe about eternal security, they had either lost their salvation or they never really had it. We'll talk about that here in just a little bit. Well, back in chapters 3 and 4 of Hebrews, and if you want to turn with me, turn to Hebrews chapter 5. That's where we'll be today. In Hebrews chapter 5, we'll pick up the last part of chapter 5. But back in chapters 3 and 4, if you remember, we looked at the warning for those Jews and Christians in that first category those who refuse to rest fully in Jesus Christ. And remember, the author used the example of the Exodus, where the Jews crossed the Red Sea and uh, went into the wilderness. And, and for the most part, they perished, didn't they? How many of them made it out? Two out of two million. So there's this dire warning to us. We can end up just like them if we're not careful. Okay? Uh, that was the first warning. Well, in, in today's text, in, in uh, uh, today's text, he's going to look at these last two categories, and he's going to issue this warning against spiritual immaturity and this warning against falling away from the faith. And so uh, what we're going to do first is look at this warning against spiritual immaturity, and I believe that's a really important warning because I believe there are a lot of people who call themselves Christians who are spiritually immature. In other words, they know about Jesus Christ, but they don't really know Jesus Christ. They know the Easter story, but they don't really understand the power of the Easter story. And being spiritually immature is a dangerous position to be in. We're going to see that here in just a little bit, because you can actually be spiritually immature and really not be saved at all. And so, because at some point, you got you to grow up. And if you're not growing up, there might be a problem there. You might not even be saved. And so let's look at these warnings and, and uh, uh, let's begin in verse number 11. And, and we'll see, uh, uh, we'll, we'll begin with me in verse number 11 and we'll, we'll look at these, two, these three warnings here. All right, he says, of whom we have much to say. Now, who's he speaking of there in verse number 11 of chapter 5? Of whom we have much to say. Who's he speaking of? Whom, who's the whom? Jesus Christ, our great high priest. Remember, he, went, he began this discourse about Jesus Christ as our great high priest. 
And so he says, I've got lots to say, more to say about that, but it's very hard to explain since many of you have become dull of hearing. What's he saying in essence right there? He's saying what we have here is a failure to communicate. I'm not communicating to you. You're not getting this. And, and yes, it's difficult. Yes, it's hard to understand. It's deep theology. And, it's, and so that makes it hard to explain. You think it's hard to explain now. Wait till we get to chapter 7 and we get to chapter 8 and we get to chapter 9 and we get to chapter 10. I mean, they're even more difficult. And the reason they weren't getting this is because they were spiritually immature. That was their problem. And you can kind of measure whether maybe you're spiritually immature by looking at this warning. Look again, beginning in verse number 12. He says, for though by now you ought to be teachers. You know, I could say that to a lot of you in this room. Now, that doesn't mean that your, your ministry is teaching, but you should be capable of teaching the Word of God. If you've been coming to church for, if you have called yourself a Christian for 10 or 20 years, and you're not able to teach, something is wrong. By now, you ought to be teachers yourself. You need, yet you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. And it's okay to be a baby for a while, but you can't stay a baby forever. I mean, there's nothing cuter to me than a little baby sitting in your lap, and you're, they, you, you got a bottle in their mouth, and they're, they got their hand around your little finger, and they're sitting there sucking on that bottle. That's really cute, isn't it? I mean, don't you love to see a little baby drinking their bottle? I mean, everybody loves that. But if after church today, I, I sat down in the chair here, and I got my diaper bag out, and I set Nathan up in my lap, and I put a bottle in his mouth, and he began to suck on that bottle and hold my hand, and then I laid him down on the chair, got the diaper bag out, and changed his diapers, y'all would think, man, that's a sick family. There's something, or sicker family, you already, well, Man, what's wrong with them? I mean, by now, he ought to be eating meat. Well, believe me, trust me. I can tell you from the grocery bill, he eats a lot of meat. But he... <laughs> For by this time, you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. I mean, you should be growing in grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. You should be able to teach others. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, of the word of God. For he's a babe. You got to get past the milk. And, and look at what he says in the, in, the, in, the, in the next verse. He says, but solid food belongs to those who are full age, those who are mature. That's, that's, meat belongs to, 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 to growing children, not adult, I mean, not to babies. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. I mean, if I'd fed my kids meat when they were little babies, that would have made them sick. You can't feed a little baby meat. And, and in other words, solid food belongs to those who are, are mature. I mean, you make a baby sick if you give a baby meat. But as they come out of the crib and they begin to walk, and they begin to exercise their bodies, they need meat, don't they? 
And that's the same thing he's saying in, in a spiritual sense, that as we begin to exercise what God is teaching us, as we become doers of the word and not just hearers of the word, we need meat. We need to get past the basic principles of the word of God. Therefore, verse number, verse number six, chapter 6, verse number 1, he says, therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, that's the milk. Now, there are a lot of people who never get past the milk. What's the milk? The elementary principles of Christ. You all know them. It's the Easter story, basically, maybe a little bit more than that. Let us go on to perfection, to maturity, not laying the found, not again going back to milk, not laying again the foundation of repentance. Now, you all know that when you got saved, you repented from your sins and you turned to who? You turned to Jesus Christ in faith. We know that. I mean, there's no reason to go over that again. Let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and a faith toward God through Jesus Christ. You know that to be saved, you have to have faith in God through Jesus Christ of the doctrines of baptism. We're not going to sit here and argue over baptism here, whether whether water baptism is right or whether sprinkling is right or how you have to be baptized. I mean, there's only one way to be baptized, and that's to get dunked in that pool. seriously if you've been sprinkled that's fine but we're not going to get into that that's not what's important and and churches have split over that and and fought over that for years but that's not the main thing of the laying on of hands i mean we lay on hands to impart spiritual power on deacons and elders and and whoever i mean we know that we know that there's a need for the baptism of the holy spirit i mean maybe that's something we do need to delve in a little bit but that's milk of the resurrection of the dead. How many of you believe that when you die, you're going to be resurrected from the dead? Do I need to tell you that every week? Every single week, do I need to tell you that? Is that all you know? That Jesus died for your sins and one day I'm going to be resurrected from the dead and one day I'm going to go to heaven? Well, if that's all you know, you're spiritually immature. That's what he's saying here. Of the resurrection of the dead and of the eternal judgment. We all know there's a hell. I mean, we all, if you don't believe there's a hell, you're wrong. There is a hell and that's not going to change it. And probably if you don't believe there's a hell, you're probably going to get to see it one day. So you need to be believing in hell doesn't save you, but if you're saved, you believe in hell. You know there's an eternal judgment. You know that Jesus Christ, there's a second coming, that Jesus Christ is going to come and rule and reign on this earth. We all know that. And I don't need to tell you that every week. You need meat. You need to get past that. If that's all your faith consists of, then you're spiritually immature. And he goes on and he makes a little comment there in verse number three. He says, and this we will do if God permits. Of course God will permit it. God doesn't want you to be a babe the rest of your life. He wants you to get past these elementary principles. He wants you to be changed into the image of Jesus Christ. And that only happens by eating meat, by studying the word of God. He wants you to be not only hearers of the word, he wants you to be doers of the word. He wants you to exercise because you're never going to get more until you start using what you already have. He wants us to exercise what we have. And so he's certainly going to permit us to go on into deeper things if we choose to. That's a choice. Well, pastor, you know what? I'm, I, I, you know, I, I really, my faith does consist of Believing in the Easter story, I believe that Jesus died on the cross, that he was buried. Uh, on the third day, he rose up from the grave, and he ascended unto heaven. I believe that, and I got things to do in my life, and that's all I'm really concerned about. And one day, I'm going to be in heaven. I have my ticket punched to heaven, so I'm not really worried about it. 
That's really all I need. And there's a lot of people that's really all they need. They go on through life and that's all they have. There's a real danger there and that's what he's going to come to next. You, you can call yourself an immature Christian and actually not be a Christian at all. I mean, what would you think about a child that never, that never got past the bottle, that never grew up, that never matured, that never wanted to eat meat? You would think something was wrong with that child. And when I see people that call themselves Christians and they never want any meat, there is something wrong with them. And I'm not saying that to, to judge them. I'm not saying that to make myself better than them. I'm saying there's something inertly wrong if you don't desire the meat of the word of God. And we live in a society where there is no meat. All we're passing out is milk. And, and I hear it all the time by these evangelicals, on, guys on TV. I don't know why I watch those guys, but I hear it all the time. <laughs> That's all you need. Man, you know the Easter story. That's all you need. You don't need to know about sanctification and propitiation and, 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 and all of these redemption. You don't need to know about those terms. You don't need to know about Jesus as your high priest. You don't need to know about the finality of the cross. You don't need any of that stuff. You just need to know the Easter story. And we don't need to waste our time in this heavy theology. Be careful with that. Be very careful with that. You might find yourself not just a spiritually immature baby, but you might find yourself lost as a goose. And that's what he's going to point to right here next. Look at these very next verses here. He says in verse number four, he says, For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift. What's he mean enlightened? Exposed to the light of God. If you're here today and you're listening to what I'm saying, I don't care whether you're saved or not. You're being exposed to the light of God. That's what he's talking about there. He says, and have tasted of the heavenly gift. What's the heavenly gift? The gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. If you've heard the gospel, you have tasted of the heavenly gift. That's all you got to do. And you know what Paul says? He says something strange over in Colossians chapter 1, verse number 6. You know what he says? He says the gospel has gone out into the whole world. Everybody in one way or the other has heard the gospel. The gospel we saw back in chapter 4, I mean back in chapter 1, we saw that the gospel was preached to the Jews in the wilderness. The gospel's gone out into the whole world. So everybody's tasted of the heavenly gift. And they have become partakers of the Holy Spirit. Look, I believe the Spirit is here with us today. And I believe if you're here and you're not saved, I believe you partake of the Holy Spirit too. The Holy Spirit is wooing you. The Holy Spirit is speaking to you. The Holy Spirit is, is, is alive and well in this room. And he's here. And you've tasted of the good word of God. That's what we're doing. We're studying the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, of, of, of Jesus' second coming, of, of judgment, of, of uh, his rule and reign on this earth, his rule and reign through eternity. We, most people know about that. A lot of people reject it, but no, most people know about that. Wow, watch verse number six. If they fall away, it's impossible if they fall away. Man, this is scary stuff right here. To renew them again to repentance. This is one of the reasons I believe in eternal security. What's Jesus say about his children? No, the father, the father says about his children, no man can snatch them out of my hand. What's he mean by that? They can't fall away. So if you fall away... You fell away because you were never saved. 
Because God's not going to let his children fall away. He says if, if they fall away to renew them again to repentance. And here's why. You know, I see people that come back and forth, back and forth. They're saved one day, they're not saved the next day. They're saved one day, they're not saved the next day. What are they doing in essence? They're putting Jesus Christ up and down on that cross. He saved me. We got up on the cross and saved me one time, and now he's got to get up on the cross and save me again because I fell away and now I'm coming back. He says if they fall away to renew them to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves, the Son of God for themselves. God's not going to get back up on that cross again. He's only done it once, and if you reject that, you reject that, you're in danger of hellfire. He says, if they fall away to renew them again to the repentance since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame all over again. You reject the cross one time. This is really what he's saying. You reject your only means of salvation and you commit the unpardonable sin. You commit the unpardonable sin. Sin. There's only one sin that God won't pardon. And that's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Go with me to Matthew chapter 12, back towards, you know where Matthew is, first book of the New Testament. Hang with me here now. Because I don't want to say to you after this, what we have here is a failure to communicate. I'm trying to do this through Scripture as much as possible. So nobody can say, I dreamed this up. Okay, I'm, I'm trying to back up every word I'm trying to tell you here with Scripture. And if you stay with this all the way through, then you should have a good understanding of what he's talking about here. And the dangers of being spiritually immature. The dangers of falling away. You remember the story in Matthew chapter 12. Jesus had been doing all of these great miracles. He'd been teaching the word of God. He'd been talking about that kingdom age to come. They, he was there and the Holy Spirit was present. All sorts of wonderful things were happening. And remember what the Pharisees ended up saying about him? The Jews were saying, oh, he must be from God. He, he has all of these great powers. And what did they say? No, he gets his power from who? From Satan. They were accusing him of being a demon. And Listen to what he says to him. He says in verse number 31, he says, Therefore, I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven men. In other words, these Pharisees will never be forgiven. They blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit says, it will not be forgiven to him either in this age or in the age to come. If you speak against what the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, you have blasphemed the Holy Spirit at that point. That's a scary thing. And you will not be forgiven either in this age or the age to come. Now, what's the Holy Spirit say? I mean, I think the whole, in the Holy Spirit about slaying people in the Spirit and getting us to bark and stuff like that and that's, that's what some people think the Holy Spirit's all about you know what we miss the main function of the Holy Spirit all the time in Christendom today go with me over to John hold your place here in Matthew because we're going to come back there 
And go with me to John chapter 16. John chapter 16, look down in verse number 7. He says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, Paracletus, who is the helper? Who's the helper he's talking about? The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ. The helper will not come to you, but if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will get you to bark. He will slay you in the spirit. No, this is the purpose of the Holy Spirit. He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. That is the function of the Holy Spirit. That is his main function. Certainly he empowers believers, and certainly I believe in the gifts of the Spirit and all of those things. But his main function, Jesus said, is to convict the world of sin and righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they do not one thing. What's the sin that's, that sends you to hell? They do not believe in me. So see, if the Holy Spirit comes along and he convicts you that Jesus is the only way, if you partake of the Holy Spirit, and he says that Jesus is the only way for you to be saved. Listen to me if you're not saved here today. If he tells you in your heart that he's the only way, and you say, well, I just, I just reject that. You have just blasphemed the Holy Spirit. And you will not be forgiven in this age or in the age to come. Because if you call the Holy Spirit a liar, you've rejected your only means for salvation. Of sin because they do not believe me. Of righteousness because of my father, because I go to my father. What's he saying there? I ascended to the father. No man can send to the father except the son of man who came down from heaven. In other words, because I've ascended to heaven, the only way you can get to heaven is through me. The only way you can ascend to heaven is through me. That's why he's Jacob's ladder. He's the ladder that'll get you to heaven. The only ladder that will get you to heaven. Of judgment, here's the good news. Because the ruler of this world, Satan, has been judged. The Holy Spirit convicts you of victory. He convicts you of the power you have in Jesus Christ. That's what the author of Hebrews is trying to get you to in a place where you understand who you are in Christ. And that the ruler of this world has been judged and he has no more authority over you. He has no more say over your life. And he can only do that if you let him. So back to Matthew again, he says, he says back in Matthew, he says, if anyone speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. You can curse Christ. And, and man, I, I know before I got saved, maybe a few times after that, man, I blaspheme God. Man, I thank goodness that's forgivable. Some people say that's not forgivable. Thank goodness that's forgivable. But if you speak against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven. You know why? Because you're speaking against the only witness to the power of salvation, to the way of salvation. And when the Holy Spirit comes into your heart and woos you, and I believe he's gone out into all the world, this says he will convict the world. The world, that means the whole world. The gospel has gone out into the whole world. Maybe they haven't heard it the way you and I have heard it, but they've been enlightened. They've been exposed to the light of God. You look at the sun and the moon and the stars, you're exposed to some degree to the light of God. Now, here were these Pharisees. You think maybe they were enlightened? Were they exposed to the light of God? Hey, Jesus Christ is light incarnate. They certainly were exposed to the light of God. They, they, they saw God in flesh. 
They heard his word. Jesus is the Logos. He is the word. They heard him speak. They heard about the gift of salvation through him. They heard about the age to come. He talked about the kingdom age all the time. And he proved all of this by miracles. And what did they do? They believed the miracles. They rejected the witness of the Holy Spirit because the power of the miracles came by the Holy Spirit and they rejected that witness and they doomed themselves to hell. They blasphemed the Holy Spirit. And in doing so, they destroyed any possibility of ever being saved. Now, the scary thing is, and let me go back for a second. Were these Pharisees saved and then they lost their salvation? It's pretty obvious with them, isn't it? No. They never were saved, were they? They never were saved. Look, I believe there are a lot of people who call themselves Christians that are in a very similar boat. I mean, they might not even, you know, they might not attribute Jesus' power to Satan, but they, in other ways, they don't recognize his power. They, they, they call themselves Christians. They've been enlightened. Uh, they've tasted of the, the gift of salvation. They've been partakers of the Holy Spirit. They've heard the word of God. They know about the kingdom age to come. And yet, they never really put their entire faith in Jesus Christ. They're not born again. And it's not that they lost their salvation. They never had salvation. And eventually they fall away. I mean, they might come off as spiritually immature Christians to us. But in reality, they're not saved at all. Because they never had it. They've, they've tasted of all of these things, but they've never really put their faith in Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what the author of Hebrews is going to show us next. Now, hang with me in verses 6 and 7. Look at what he says. Actually, 7 and 8. The last two verses we're going to look at today. Let me back up again, verse number 6. He says, if they fall away to renew themselves again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. Now he's going to give us a metaphor here to show us what these people are like. Okay? For the earth which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it and bears herbs useful for those by whom it is cultivated receives blessings from God. But it bears thorn, but if it, bears thorns and briars, it is rejected and near to being cursed, near to being cursed, if it bears thorns and briars. Look, if you're bearing nothing but thorns and briars, you're near to being cursed. The Word of God should be changing you. You're, the Holy Spirit should be changing you. So, so uh, they're near to be cursed and whose end is to be burned. Now, what's he giving us a picture there? Uh, he's giving us a picture of hell. See, the metaphor he uses here is the metaphor of plant life. And what he's saying right here, he's saying all plants, good and bad, drink of the same rain. They partake of the same rays from the sun. Yet they don't all produce herbs, do they? Some bear thorns and thistles. Why do they bear thorns and thistles? Because that's their nature, to bear thorns and thistles. Therefore, they're cursed 
and they're burned in fire. The good plants, they bear herbs. Why do they bear herbs? Because it's their nature to bear herbs. It's your good nature that produces good works. It's the new life, the new creature that produces good works. And that's a picture there. What's it teach us? All the peoples of the world, all the peoples of the world benefit from the gospel. They benefit from the blessings of God. As I said earlier in Colossians 1, 6, we're told the gospel has gone out into the whole world. Uh, John 16, the Holy Spirit has gone into the whole world to convict the world of sin, to convict the world of righteousness and of judgment. I mean, the Holy Spirit has done that. And so only those, listen to me carefully, who are chosen by God and have their nature changed will benefit from the blessings and bear fruit. Only those who are chosen by God. Well, pastor, how do I get chosen? Well, let me tell you how you get chosen. You choose Jesus Christ, and guess what? You were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. That's how you get chosen. I believe in choice. I believe in free choice. But God knows that choice. And if you choose him, you've been chosen before the foundation of the world. And if you choose him, uh, you, you, you're not going to bear thorns and thistles. But if you don't choose him, you can play church all day. But your fruit is going to be thorns and thistles. And in the end, you're going to be burned. Happy stuff, huh? Burned in hell forever. Great news. I can't, I can't convict you of that myself. But the Holy Spirit can. And if you hear the Holy Spirit convicting you of you, that deep down inside you know that's true and you reject that. You understand what you're doing. You're blaspheming the Holy Spirit. And there will come a time where, I mean, I believe you can, you know, maybe there's, there's some grace in that. There's a real danger that, that you blaspheme the Holy Spirit to the point that you become a thorn and thistle or you're left as a thorn and thistle and you're burned in the eternal fire. Now, here's what I see as the big danger. And I, and I really, I don't believe that about Calvary Chapel. I don't, you know, and I'm not pointing fingers at other churches, but when I look at Christendom as a whole, I think there are a pot load of people who go to church week after week. They drink the milk. They, they're in the presence of the Holy Spirit. They're convicted by the Spirit. But they never grow. They never mature. They never get past milk and get to the meat. And so they become dull of hearing. In the parable of the sower, Jesus told us why they become dull of hearing. Remember? What did he say? Some, some seeds are thrown on, on what? On shallow ground and they don't take root. And, and when, the, when the heat comes, they wither away. Some are sowed on hard ground, hard-hearted heart that just refuses to listen. And then they hear the word, but the devil comes and it snatches it away. And some, some, are, some are sowed on good soil, really good soil. This is a big danger in the world we live in. And yet the cares of the world come and choke away the plants. And they never grow. And that's a picture of people who... who, who Go to church and play church and pretend to be Christians, but they, they never really are born again. They never really are saved. And eventually what happens? 
they fall away. And in doing so, by falling away and rejecting the Holy Spirit, they lose their only means of salvation and they're lost forever. They didn't get saved and lose it. They never were saved. That's why John says in 1 John 1, or I'm sorry, 1 John 2, 19, they went out from us because they were not of us. And that's exactly the picture he's painting right here. The reason they're falling away and the reason they're going to end up in hell is because they're, they're thorns and thistles. They've never been changed by the Spirit of God. Peter gives a very similar warning over in, in 2 Peter. Go with me there, just a few books over towards Revelation. In 2 Peter. And you know people like this. If you're a person like this, you better, you better get straight quick. But listen to this, in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 20, he says, For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world, how did they escape the pollutions of the world? By They came to church and they heard about the gospel and they were enlightened. They heard the good word of God. They tasted of the Holy Spirit. But for if they had escaped the pollution of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ... They are again entangled in them and overcome. The latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment. What's the holy commandment? There's one commandment. What do you have to do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put your faith totally in him and get born again. You must be born again. And But... It has happened to them. This is the reason it's happened to them. It didn't happen to them because they lost their salvation. It didn't happen to them because, yeah, they got saved, but they decided they wanted to go back to the world, and so they turned and they, and they went back to the world. That's not what happened. Now, now I can't make it any clearer. He, he can't make it any clearer than he does in the next verse. But it's happened to them according to the true proverb. A dog returns to his own vomit. What's he saying there? A dog returns to his vomit because he's a dog. That's why. And a sow, having been washed to her, having been washed to her, returns to her wallowing in the mire. So a pig returns to the pigsty is what he's saying. You know, at our house, we treat our animals like they're humans. We really treat them good. And some of y'all remember our big old fat lab, Jill. Jill, we did everything we could to make a human out of her. I mean, we, she, she would sit on the couch and watch TV with us. She would, she would uh, sit, she would speak, she would sing. I mean, it wasn't very good, but she could sing. I mean, she ate anything. She would eat, I don't eat broccoli. She would eat broccoli, raw broccoli, carrots. I mean, anything you fed that dog, she would eat. I mean, it got to the point where she was like one of our children. It got to that point. And then one day, one day I had this nest of rats in my barbecue grill. And I began to chase those rats out with a butcher knife. And, and it, was, it was a mama and her, like her six little fledglings. It was like seven rats. And I began to chase those rats. And I know I've probably told this story before. But anyway, I chased the rats out of the barbecue grill. And I throw the knife at them and... I was scared to death of them, but they'd come flying out, and if they flied out, she would grab one and eat it. <laughs> out of seven rats, she ate six of them. Six rats. One of them got away. 
poor lucky thing. (laughs) You think that's disgusting? Let me tell you what happened next. She threw up the six rats and then went and ate the throw up. She did not learn that from me. She might learn it from Nathan or Eli, but she didn't learn it from me. Why did Jill go eat those rats and eat her throw up? Because she's a dog. No matter how much you dress her up to be a human, she was nothing but a dog. Jay Vernon McGee says the same thing about pigs. You can take a little pet pig and you can dress him up and put him in a little suit and tie and bring him into church and you can set him on the pew and he can hear everything that's going on and you can bring him in here week after week. But as soon as you let him go, where's he going to head? For the pigsty. You understand, my Jill didn't lose her humanity. She never had it. Pig, we tried, but she never had it. Pigs don't lose their humanity. They never have it. The reason people leave and go back to the pigsty of this world is because they, and I'm not, you know, man, it breaks my heart. I'm not excited about this. But the reason they keep going back is because they're not born again. And at some point, here's the warning to people like that. You're going to blaspheme the Holy Spirit, and one day you're not going to hear from the Holy Spirit. And your chance for salvation is, is over. Now, you know, you get into these texts and you wonder why Paul, I believe again Paul wrote the book of Hebrews, why he peppered this text with all these warnings. Because he's te- I believe for the most part he's, te- he's wanting to teach people who are deep in their faith, people who are maturing and growing and love the Lord and want to go beyond the milk. But he's afraid in the process, because he sees the dullness or senses this dullness of their heart, he's afraid that they might not even be saved. And so he's got to give them these warnings. But listen to what he says, and and this will be our verse verse for where we'll begin next week. We'll go back to the book of Hebrews, and I, I think this is what I would say to you today after all we just looked at. Verse number nine, but beloved... Verse number 9 of Hebrews chapter 6. But beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yeah, I'm confident that most of you in this room, and I, I would say, you know, from, from my standpoint, all of you, but there's probably some that who, who need this warning today. But I'm confident that, that we're confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany real salvation. Though I speak in this terrifying manner, it really doesn't apply to you. I'm not here today trying to scare you if you're saved and wondering am I saved or not. No, I'm trying to scare you if you're on that fence. I'm trying to scare you if you keep hearing the word and you keep rejecting and you keep playing games with your religion. You're really not truly born again. I want to scare the you-know-what out of you. So you don't end up in the you-know-what. So, we'll go back to happier things next week. I, every once in a while, somebody leaves me a note in the offering box. I think that people like to tweak my theology a little bit. 
they want to be wrong, they can be wrong. But <laughs> I got a note a couple of weeks ago, and somebody said, before you preach on Hebrews again, you need to read James 2.20. I got news for you. I have James 2.20 memorized, so I don't need to read it. Faith without works is dead. I believe that. So I didn't have to look it up. But I understand where they were coming from. Because what have I been saying in the, so far in the book of Hebrews, what, I'm gonna, what you're going to hear, what the author is saying. He, he's, he's telling you that your works don't add anything to the righteousness that God has given you in Jesus Christ. You have been perfected forever by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what I'm saying. And if you think that your works add to your righteousness, instead of putting a note in the box, write a big check because you'll get a lot more credit for it than you will writing me a note. <laughs> and, the, and, if, and, and if our standing's based upon our good works, the bigger the check, the better. <laughs> now, I'm not mad at that person. I get notes all the time. Y'all are welcome to throw all the notes you want in there. But let's say for illustration's sake that, that you, this person who wrote me this note, you have $10,000 in the bank and you decided today I'm going to give it all to the Lord, writing a check for $10,000 and I'm putting it in the offering box. That's pretty good. Let's say I'm a rich pastor. I have a million dollars in the bank. Now that would put me right up there with uh, BH and J.O. and some of the others. I'm not going to name names, but, but uh, I don't have a million dollars in the bank. Well, let's say I have a million dollars in the bank and I write a check for $100. You wrote one, gave everything you had, $10,000, and I write a check for $100. Now, we're both born again. We're both covered by the blood of Christ. Let me ask you a question. Who is more righteous in God's eyes after that event, you or me? Equal, same, exactly the same. Let's add to the illustration. Let's say that tonight you go out and you pray all night. You, you go home, you leave here, you hit the prayer room and you pray all night. And I go out to a bar and get rip-roaring drunk. Well, now, let me, the illustration breaks down a little bit because if I wanted to go to a bar and get rip-roaring drunk then, then, uh, all the time, then there's probably something wrong with me. Okay, but let's, for illustration's sake, let's say I, you, I got about 10 notes and they were handed to me and I got really distraught, so I went to a bar <laughs> and got rip-roaring drunk. Now, who's more righteous at the end of the day? You or me? Neither. Neither of us. You can't add to the righteousness that you're given in Jesus Christ. You've been given the righteousness of God. Do you see that? Look, I believe with all my heart that faith without works is dead. But let me tell you something. Works without faith is deader. Because it is your good works. And this is what James was trying to say. It is your good, it is your good faith that produces good works. Your good works don't produce faith. It's, your, it's having a real faith in Jesus Christ. It's eating meat 
and having an understanding of what he's done for you and getting into the holiest of holies where you're dripping with the very power of God, that's what produces good works. You get out of that outer court, out of that world, and you go into the holiest of holies and you'll produce some really wonderful works for God. That's what the author of Hebrews is trying to do. He's not trying to get you to quit working. He's trying to get you to quit working for your salvation, for your, for your standing with God, for your fellowship with God. That's a given if you're a born-again believer. And so what you need to do is understand that and run to his presence and get the power that he has available through Jesus Christ. And if that's not clear to you, we have a failure. What we have here is a failure to communicate. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your goodness. We thank you for what you've done for us in Jesus Christ. Lord, we all want to do good works. But Lord, we've got we, we to grow to do that. We've got to exercise what you're giving us. We've got to be doers of the word and not just hearers of the word. Lord, only you can... Only you can change us and give us the power to do great works. And all of us want to do that, Lord. So I just ask today that you just, just bless everyone in this room that, that knows you, Lord, uh, with a closer relationship to you that comes through really knowing Jesus Christ as our great high priest. Father, if there's anyone here who might be riding that fence, they might seem to be spiritually immature, they really haven't taken that leap into your arms. I ask that today be the day of their salvation. Lord, they can't keep rejecting your Holy Spirit without blaspheming your Holy Spirit. Lord, that's scary. But if it's scariness that saves them, then so be it. Lord, we just ask for your grace today on all our lives. We ask that in the name of Jesus. It's in his name I pray. Amen.